You're listening to the Formation Church Podcast. Formation exists to be a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. For more information about the ministry of Formation in Salt Lake City, Utah, visit our website at formationslc.com. Well, my guess is that you already know this, but you know, almost half of the New Testament is actually comprised of letters that we more formally call epistles. Now, each of these epistles was written to specific churches that were facing specific challenges that required some specific shifts in order to continue flourishing the way that Jesus intended for them. And just like those early Christian churches, our church has and our church is facing some specific challenges. We always are. And each of those challenges requires us to make some specific shifts. And so my plan is from here all the way up until Advent on Thanksgiving weekend, I'm going to teach a series that I'm calling Dear Formation, The Essential Shifts We Must Make. And each week, we're going to openly and honestly acknowledge a challenge that we're facing and the shift that's required for us to move through that challenge. Now, I do want to just say... Um, I'm not going to be writing new scripture for this. This isn't like an actual epistle. If you got worried, like that's what cults do. I'm still just going to be teaching out of the Bible. But taking scripture from the New Testament that applies to some of the, like the challenges we're facing aren't new. They're like, the book of Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. And so that means the challenges we face today are the same challenges that churches for 2,000 years have faced. And so we're going to look at scripture together. And I want to start by talking about the shift that I want to call from solo to shared leadership. From solo to shared leadership. And here's the big idea that I really want to get at this morning. It's this. Every church's spiritual longevity demands shared leadership. Every church's spiritual longevity demands shared leadership. And what I mean by that is that Jesus never intended any local church to be led by just one person. So anytime that you're in a church setting where there is only one person who is doing all of the leading, you find a church that is operating outside of the biblical model. And this reality goes all the way back to the way that God has actually designed human beings to flourish in general. The Genesis story tells us that the first time that God identifies something that he has created as anything other than good is when Adam, you'll remember, is alone in Eden. God declares in that moment, it is not good for man to be alone. Now, obviously, in that moment, God was talking about the innate need for humans to have relationship with one another. But as the Old Testament story develops, we also see this principle inform spiritual leadership. And so in Exodus 18, for example... The weight of leading Israel had gotten so heavy for Moses by himself that it was taking a significant toll on him. And so in verses 17 and 18, his father-in-law Jethro comes to him and he says this. It'll be up on the screen. He says, listen to how clear he is. What you're doing is not good. You will certainly wear out both yourself and these people who are with you because the task is too heavy for you. You can't do it alone. So then Moses takes the advice of Jethro, and he shares his leadership load with others. 
And from there, the nation of Israel expanded and grew. And as it did, spiritual leadership, as we read the Old Testament, we see that it's shared between prophets and priests and kings. Now, as we fast forward to the New Testament, think about Jesus. Jesus chooses 12 leaders to prepare to care for his church after his resurrection. He doesn't just choose one. He doesn't just take Peter under his, thank God, just take Peter under his wing. If you know anything about Peter, that would have been a scary situation. He doesn't just take Peter. He has 12 that he invests in. And so then we see this pattern develop throughout the Old Testament where these early churches have shared leadership. They have a plurality of leaders. Now, coming into our situation, the good news is, you know, there's never been one day in which our church was only led by me. We started with a team, and we've always had a team. The challenge is, and this is always true, what got us here isn't going to get us where we're headed. So what that means is we need the existing leaders in our church to be better empowered, to be able to lead. And then we also are going to need to spread the leadership of our church even more. And so this morning, I just want to do two things. The first is I want to anchor the importance of shared leadership in the scriptures by looking at a story from the early church in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. The second thing I want to do is I want to unpack how we, in our situation, need to continue shifting in this next season. So if you have a Bible or an app that you like to read in, Uh, Open up to Acts chapter 6. We're going to just look at the first seven verses. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And let me just start by setting the scene for this story that we're going to look at. At this point, this is after Jesus has risen from the dead. He had appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses. And then Acts chapter 1 reports that he left this earth and he returned to the spiritual realm that we call heaven. And in response... To his ascension, as it's called, a small and fledgling group of disciples, not much bigger than our little church, they gather together and they pray. And God answers those prayers by giving them the gift of his Holy Spirit. And his presence with them has a profound effect upon them. It causes them to shift from a place of overwhelming fear. Where they went into that prayer meeting cowards, they came out with this deep sense of boldness. And as a result of that boldness, they begin to preach and to teach about Jesus. They begin to live the vision that he had so patiently painted for them. And they begin to serve the people around them. And as a result, this little church began to grow. But with this growth came pretty significant growing pains. And that's what we see an example of as we come now to Acts chapter 6. The church has begun to really grow, and immediately there's these growing pains because growth almost always brings about some amount of growing pain. So we could frame this story in three parts, okay? As we look at these seven verses, there's a crisis that we see right out of the chute. There is their response to the crisis, and then we get to see the result of their response. So let's start with this crisis in verse 1. In those days... As the disciples were increasing in number, so they're growing, there arose a complaint, okay? So complaining in churches, not a new thing. That's Old Testament too. That's always been there. There arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. Now, as is very often the case, growth comes, becomes a source of conflict for them because with growth, growth, it forces change. 
and none of us love change, and so change has a way of forcing conflict. And one of the most unique and compelling parts of Christian faith is the way that it welcomes diversity. Think about this. Many religious faiths are driven by uniformity. And so as a result, everybody looks the same. Everybody lives the same. Everybody believes the same. But you know, from its inception, Christians have been united in their love and their faith in Jesus, but diverse in virtually every other way. And this story, all the way back in the first century, this is an example of that. The early church at this time was primarily comprised of Jewish people who saw Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. And so even then, they were ethnically diverse. Some of them spoke Aramaic, that was the Hebraic Jews, and then some of them spoke Greek, and that was the Hellenistic Jews. And so the crisis point came as the Greek-speaking widows began being overlooked in the much-needed distribution of food every single day. And so if you don't know, widows were amongst the most vulnerable in the first century. And that was particularly true of these Hellenistic ones who were living in Jerusalem, and here's why. In the final season of their lives, it was very common for Jewish people who had been dispersed outside of Jerusalem to return to the holy city to live out the remainder of their lives. But this meant that when a husband died, a wife was very often left in this foreign city, totally displaced from family and friends, as well as any means of supporting herself. And so as such, providing food to these widows was a critical ministry of the early church. Yet for reasons that we're not really told, these Greek-speaking Jewish widows were being overlooked. And so the question is, how do you resolve this crisis? And that brings us to their response. Look at verse 2. It says the 12, so that's the apostles, they summoned the whole company of disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole company, which is a small miracle. <laughs> so that I'm still waiting to make one decision, one leadership decision in my life, and everybody's like, yep, thumbs up, we love it. <laughs> it's a miracle. That's the most amazing thing about this story, actually. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and, all right, we ready for these names? I practice them, but I'm tired. And Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Permeneus, close as I can get, uh, Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. All right, so here was the tension that the apostles find themselves in. An entire segment of this local church was being neglected. And the apostles, who were the sole leaders of the church at this point, have a, a, a decision to make. And the problem was they had been given by Jesus a very specific set of responsibilities. Jesus had called them and equipped them to lead in two very specific ways, in teaching and in prayer. And so they acknowledge that while this crisis has to be solved, it would be wrong for them to neglect what Jesus has called them to. And so in light of this, something in our, that would, if this happened in our day, something amazing happens here. They actually choose to embrace their limitations and to acknowledge their own lack of margin to be the solution to this crisis. 
And instead, they spread out the leadership responsibility. And more on that in just a second. Because first, I want you to contrast their response with what happens so often in the modern church. In our day, problems in the church are often met with pastors and church staffs flying into action and coming up with a solution. And oftentimes, this small group of people ignore their limitations, and instead, they overfunction, as we've talked a little bit about over the last couple weeks, and they end up doing more than they should. And so church leaders overextend themselves, often to the detriment of their own health and their own families, and members in the church are often content to allow the paid people to do most of the work. But the early church didn't have that kind of leadership infrastructure, which as a result was certainly very confusing at times, but in this case, it ended up being a significant gift. Because rightfully so, the apostles do devise a plan. They're just not going to be the ones who do all of it. They tell the church to choose, at this time, seven qualified men to help to solve this particular crisis. And I think it's very worth noting the two qualifications that they said made for a good reputation that they were after. They weren't just looking for people who are good business leaders, as is so often the case for leadership in the church. They were looking for two very specific characteristics. They were looking for people who were full of the Spirit and wisdom. Now, just to break that down, what it really means is they were looking for people who were like real Jesus-y, and they, they were skilled in living well. That's what wisdom is, is it means to, to live with skill rather than to go through life like a complete dumpster fire in the way, in the way that is so common in our, in our culture. So they had to be Jesus-y, and they had to be skilled at living well. And the seven that they chose were most likely already recognized leaders in the Greek-speaking portion of the church. We know this because they all have Greek names that are very hard to pronounce, if you ask me. And all that they really needed was to be publicly affirmed and then empowered by the apostles. And so the apostles gather them together, they lay hands on them, and they commission them to this new task. And I want you to notice now the result. Look at verse 7. It says, so the word of God <clears throat> spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. So there's so much that happens as a result of this decision to spread out the leadership. Notice, first, the spreading of the leadership load allowed the apostles to focus on their Jesus-given responsibility to teach and pray. Secondly, it empowered these other people to be able to lead in a meaningful way. Thirdly, these widows are better cared for. And then number four, the more people are reached and the church continues to grow. Now, I just want you to mentally contrast that with what would have happened had the apostles not shared the load. I mean, it had to be one of two things. They either would have had to neglect their own responsibilities or they would have had to leave these widows neglected. And both of those results would have been devastating to the development and the expansion of the early church. But instead, they shared leadership and the kingdom of Jesus grew. And so here again is the lesson. Every church's spiritual longevity demands shared leadership. And so let's spend the, the last few minutes just talking a little bit about how we are working to share leadership as we head into this next season together. At Formation, if you don't know, we currently have four types of leaders in our church. 
The first is probably the one that we're the most familiar with, which is pastors. Now, with Pastor Tyler on sabbatical, that's largely just me right now, but our pastors are responsible for the overarching health of our church. And anytime someone asks me what, which happens especially in Salt Lake City a lot, because when you tell someone that isn't a part of a Christian church that you're a pastor, they look at you like you're from another planet. And so when people ask me, what, is it, what, is, what does it mean to be a pastor? My answer is always the same. I believe it is the job of a pastor to help the people of a church to design their lives for deeper relationship with Jesus. That's really what a pastor is supposed to do. Help people design their life in such a way that they can experience deeper relationship with Jesus. And so for me, that includes things like this, things like teaching. It includes prayer, spiritual direction, counseling, and pastoral care. I'm also responsible to make sure that as a community, we continue to move toward Jesus' vision for our church. But it isn't just be my, be me by myself. In addition to our pastoral team, we also have our leadership council. Now, the primary function of our leadership council is to partner with our pastors to discern the movement of God in our church and how he's inviting us to respond. So when we get together, we're talking about, like, what is it that God's up to right now? What is he inviting us to? What does he want from us right now? And the truth is, this series is a real-time example of that. Because just a couple of weeks ago, I met with our leadership community, and we had this long conversation about what we believed that God was trying to do in our church right now. And collectively, we, as we talked, came to the conclusion, felt very, very strongly that there were these shifts that we were being invited to make. And out of that conversation came this series and everything else that's going to come from it. So that's what our leadership council is responsible to do, discern the movement of God in our church and how he's inviting us to respond. Now, in addition to our pastors and our leadership uh, council, we also have our admins. Now, our admins are responsible to support specific areas of ministry in our community. So rather than thinking about the whole, they've got this like specific area in the church that they're prayerfully trying to, to equip and take care of. So for instance, Brienne Litz is our admin over our worship service. So she takes care of all the little details that go into scheduling our service. Mackenzie Morey, who's going to do announcements in a few minutes, in addition to being a bully when she does the announcements. <laughs> so buckle up, because she's coming up again. She is coming in hot. She's, over, she's our admin over operations, so she kind of makes sure that the vast majority of our church continues to function and run. Clarissa Nisbet is our admin over Formation Kids. She's actually serving back there right now. And her husband, John, is our admin over... You want to stand up and take a bow, or No. <laughs> He's got real white Jesus hair going on right now, and I dig it. He, he is our admin over meetups. Now, I don't know about you, and as I just think and I pray about where we are, what's going on in our church, I just really am sensing this need for more people to step up and provide this kind of critical leadership in our church. So in this area of administrative leadership, we're going to need more people to be able to share that leadership. Now, lastly, and most recently, we have our brand new community group leaders. So with our community groups launching this week, they're going to be responsible for gathering and caring for a small group of people in our church. And as we, like the church in the New Testament, as we continue to grow and we continue to have more people seeking this vital ministry in our church, we're going to need a lot more people to step up and to lead 
in this important way. And so the point in all of this, again, is this. Every single church's spiritual longevity demands shared leadership. And we have some great people who are providing necessary leadership, and we're going to need more. And so as we close for today, before we take communion together, before we do some Q&A, so feel free to text in any practical questions you might have, but before we, we get to all that, I want you to notice that there's going to be really a kind of a singular theme that runs through this series. And I want to invite you to begin thinking about that theme right here at the outset of this series. And the theme is this. You are immensely valuable and as such, exceedingly important to our success or failure. In fact, I want want you to do me a favor if you feel comfortable with this. Will you just close your eyes for one second? And I would rarely ask you to do this. I want you to try to just forget about everybody else in this room for a second. And I want you to receive this theme for you. Hear this for you. You. You are immensely valuable. And as such, you are exceedingly important to our success or failure. Now you can open your eyes. Now I know that sports metaphors are often lost on about half the room because half the room either doesn't care or doesn't understand the sport. But the truth is they, they are an obvious example of this theme. So even if you don't know anything about football, I want you to just take football for instance. A football team, if you don't know, has 11 players on the field at all times. And every single one of those players has an, has an entirely different role. And even if one of them decides not to fulfill their role, the entire team is doomed. Every single player is valuable, which means that every single one of them is important. And in the same way, each and every one of us is immensely valuable and as such, exceedingly important to our success or to our failure as a church. So the good news is, None of us has to do everything, but we all need to do something. And so you might, you might be here and you may not have an identified leadership role in our church, but that does not mean, and I really want you to hear this, because this gets lost, not just in our church, but in every church. It doesn't mean that each and every one of us should not feel the weight of being a leader, because every single one of us help lead our culture. Our culture is comprised of us. So it's together that we lead our culture forward. We all help lead in morale. Every single one of us helps lead toward our vision and our mission. And so leadership is not just a pastoral responsibility. Each of us is responsible to lead both ourselves and those in our sphere of influence. So that means no one can take a pass in this just like we saw in Acts 6. Each of us needs to position our lives so that we can be more and more full of the Spirit and wisdom. And we position our lives for that through word, through prayer, through reflection and contemplation, through community. The more that we lean into those essential spiritual practices, they're not magic. They just put us in a position 
for the Spirit of God to fill us more and more and for us to grow in wisdom. Every church's spiritual longevity demands shared leadership. And so let's commit to each embrace this responsibility in front of us. Let me pray for us, and then we'll take a time to reflect, we'll take communion, and then we'll do some Q&A. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you so much personally that you have not designed your church to fall under the care of just one person. Lord, our, our church is small by comparison to so many's, and that would still be such a crushing burden on just me or any one person. I thank you that you have called us to share that load together. And I thank you, Lord, for every single person in our church who helps lead in any capacity. I thank you first and foremost for Pastor Tyler. We continue to pray your blessing of refreshment on him as he's away on sabbatical. I thank you for all of our the members of our leadership council, all of our admins, everyone who has stepped up to lead a community group. I thank you for every person who serves in any capacity and every single person who makes up our community because we all lead in some way. And so we ask humbly, Lord, and desperately that you would continue to fill us with your spirit and wisdom. The world that we are seeking to follow you in is dark and complicated. And so we need your spirit to produce the fruit of your life within us and through us. And we need wisdom to know how to navigate everything that happens in our lives, everything that's going on in this world. And so we thank you that we're not alone. We thank you that we have you. And we thank you that we have one another. Lord, help us to lean in more and more to all that you are calling us to. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's hit a little Q&A, see how this goes. What other types of leaders are you looking for within the church? Um, I would say at this time, uh, we are really focused on those four that I laid out. At some point, we would like to, I would like to have a track to develop um, other, even um, unpaid pastors within the church. Um, but that could end up being really a way that our community group leaders are trained. We're going to do our best to really try to, um, I hope this makes sense, but like push as much ministry into the community groups as possible because we really want those groups to be the, the very center of our church and how people not only experience connection, but how people are cared for and encouraged and prayed for. And so uh, I do think uh, the next conversation I have with our leadership council, uh, I think is going to be about some other areas where we might need um, some administrative leadership and support. So there might be some opportunity there. Um, but right now, I would say like kind of the, the big message that I want everyone to hear is we just need everyone to do their part. So by and large, the vast majority of our church is serving in some capacity. And so just continuing to lead in and to be faithful in all of those ways. Great question. Next can you please remind us of the names of the folks on the leadership council? Oh, thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> Denise and uh, Noland Mewborn, who are not here today because their daughter is getting married. Uh, I think she's married. If she's not married at this point, something went really bad. So I think she's married, so that's good. They'll be back next week. 
So Denise and Nolan Mewborn, Kay uh, is a part of that team, Quentin, um, Dee Dee, and Mike Morey. Those are the six people in our church that make up that team. Uh, we worked really, really hard to try to really prayerfully discern uh, six people who we felt like really represent. That's what I love about the decision in Acts 6. They chose six Greek-speaking Jewish people to serve that segment. So as we were thinking through our leadership council, we were trying to identify people, imperfectly always, but identify people who really represent the vast majority of the different life stages in our church. And so that's what went into making uh, that team. Next. If I'm interested in stepping into or helping with an admin or other leadership role you mentioned, what should I do? You should email me, uh, and if you want to make a note of this, my email is just ryan at formationslc.com. I don't see anyone sending an email, so is this a fake? This, did a bot send this question in? So ryan at formationslc.com, and I'd love to talk with you about that. I think what I would say in addition to this is if if you have a burden for a specific area of ministry that may not currently, you don't see it existing in our church, it's probably not because we don't value it. It is probably because we don't have someone to help lead it. And so we, we, we do, like every once in a while, people will be like, hey, you should do this. And I'd be like, awesome, you're it, okay? Because my, my plate's full. And so if we're going to do more, then it really has to come within the body of our community. And so if there's an area of ministry that you're like, I think this would be really, really good for us, then I'd email me. I would love to be able to talk about that and to discern together if that is some, something God's inviting us to and if you might be someone that could help lead that forward. Great question. Next, <clears throat> what would you say to someone who thinks, I would love to help, but I already work full time and I'm very busy? I mean, I would say that, that not everyone, that everyone's, uh, capacity is a little bit different, and that they're like life works in seasons, and so there are seasons in life where you're you have you don't have the necessary margin. I think that in our culture, it's always important for each of us to be looking at our lives and discerning like, am I stretched too thin, and is there a way for me to be able to create more space and margin in my life? Because some of us are genuinely so overextended, it's a miracle that we get through the week. And it's one of the reasons why stress and anxiety is so high in our lives. We're just stretched way too thin. There's too much information coming at us. There's too much responsibility. There's too many commitments. There's too many relationships. It's really, really hard. And so we do need to always be looking, is there areas that I can create more margin? And sometimes there just isn't. Like sometimes you're just in a season that does not allow for you to do more. My guess is, like here's what I would say. If you're not currently serving in any capacity, but you can be here on Sunday morning, then you can serve on Sunday morning once in a while. Because like for, for guest services, you come at nine instead of 10, you hold the door for people, which we're all capable of. Like unless you're an absolute ogre, you, you are welcome to serve on the guest services team. If you just have like a mean resting face, like maybe we'll find something else for you to do, okay? But I think I, I think I would never want you to, to, to make an assumption about what is required of serving in some capacity. If you're going to attend church, like, again, unless you work until 10 a.m. and then you have to go back to work at, like, 11.30, there's probably some meaningful way that you would be able to contribute. And so <clears throat> I would say if you have the desire and the longing and maybe God's beginning to birth a desire to lead um, more, uh, I don't want to say significantly, because I don't think that's the right word, but lead in a way that is a, uh, requires a larger investment of time, for instance, or energy, 
then let's, I would love to have a conversation about that. You don't have to make all of those decisions alone. So again, email me, and I would love to be able to help discern that with you. All right, last question. Are there specific requirements for people who ser serve in leadership positions? Uh, yeah, I would say the biggest thing, I mean, we, we look at like, I mean, I do think that while Acts 6 is not uh, necessarily a prescriptive passage, that, that this is how all leaders are going to be chosen. I would say it's a, it's a really good kind of like baseline for like we want people to be Christians and we want people to like be walking with Jesus and wisdom to the best of their ability. Um, I would say outside of that, can I have that question one more time? Because I've lost it. <laughs> uh, are there specific requirements for people who serve in leadership positions? Um, the biggest thing I would say is like full, you, that, that before stepping into a leadership role, that people are participating fully, which for us means like attending, serving, giving, and now participating in some amount of community. You might be in a season where community group is not going to work for you, and, but you're still like participating in community. And if those four things are there, then, you know, depending on the type of leadership, there might be a, a particular competency that one needs to have in order to lead in a particular role. But those are kind of the baseline things that we're looking for. A Christian who is fully participating in the life of our church. That was the last question. I feel like I did pretty good for barely being a human today, okay? Okay.